Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today, we bring you the third and final entry into our story on Coach Bob Knight. When we left off last week, we ended the episode talking about how Coach Knight is one of only three coaches in college history to have won three or more national championships with completely different players. Now, this speaks to his ability to recruit high-quality players decade after decade. He put together a championship team in 1976 and then again in 1981 with a whole new set of players, including Isaiah Thomas. And then he did it again in 1987. He was able to rebuild the team for a third time and win the whole thing. And that was a team led by Steve Alford and Keith Smart, who was clutch in that championship game. But I am getting a bit ahead of myself as the number of events have happened to Coach Knight between that first and last championship. And I want to go through a few of these incidents to show why Coach Knight is such a controversial figure. There are times when it seems that he is unable to get out of his own way. So let's start with incident number one. The time that Coach Knight was arrested for assaulting a police officer. It was 1979 and Coach Knight was tasked with coaching the United States men's national team in a tournament down in Puerto Rico. When Team USA arrived at the gym for practice, they were asked to wait outside for 10 minutes until their scheduled time to take the court, and they had no problem with that. It seemed fair to stay out of the gym until it was time for the other team before them to finish practice so that Team USA could take the court. However, while Team USA was still conducting their own practice, the team from Brazil was allowed into the gym and they were being quite loud. Coach Knight asked his assistant, Mike Krzyzewski, to deal with the noise. Coach Krzyzewski initially asked the team quiet down until it was their time to take the court. A local police officer who was doing double duty as a security guard for the gym said that Brazil was not bothering anyone and that Coach Krzyzewski should just go ahead and finish his practice. That was the same officer that asked Team USA to stay out of the gym until it was their time. Yet, he let Brazil in early. After some back and forth, Coach Knight joined the conversation. According to witnesses, the police officer began to shake his finger angrily at Coach Knight, saying that he was in charge of the gym and that no American was going to tell him what to do. He got so close to Coach Knight that they were nose to nose. As he was shaking his finger at Coach Knight, he got so close that he actually poked Coach Knight in the eye. Coach Knight reacted by pulling his head back and reaching up for his own face. In the process of reaching up for his face, Coach Knight made contact with the officer's face. The officer claimed assault and Coach Knight was immediately arrested on charges of assaulting a police officer. Even American newspapers immediately used words like slapped, punched, and assault even though it was none of those things in the end. But the damage was done and Coach Knight's reputation had already taken a hit. For a guy with a short fuse like Coach Knight, the idea of him assaulting a police officer was not a huge leap. It was a very believable story, even if it did not happen exactly the way it was reported. 
But the one thing that Coach Knight has even admitted is that when he feels he is being wronged, he cannot let it go. He feels that he has to do something about it, and further, he has to teach a lesson to those responsible. It is a fire within him that he cannot figure out how to quench. It is something that he simply cannot control. So here is incident number two, when he was accused of assaulting a fan of Louisiana State at the 1981 Final Four. His team was staying in the same hotel as a bunch of Louisiana State fans. The LSU fans kept talking junk all weekend long. Whenever the Indiana team was walking through the lobby of the hotel, the LSU fans would chant, Tiger Bait, Tiger Bait, because LSU's mascot was the Tigers, and they were going to have Indiana for dinner. The team said nothing in return. They just took care of business and defeated LSU. After the victory, Coach Knight went out to dinner with some friends. At the restaurant, a drunken LSU fan said, good game to Coach Knight. Of course, there is nothing wrong with that. The fan was extending an olive branch, but Coach Knight had to take his opportunity to say something back. He responded with, I guess we weren't tiger bait tonight. Coach Knight had to get in the last word. Well, the LSU fan did not like that. He got into Coach Knight's face. Coach Knight grabbed the man by the shirt and shoved him back against the wall and the LSU fan lost his balance and tripped over a trash can. Now, according to newspapers, Coach Knight had committed assault and stuffed the fan into that trash can without any provocation at all. Of course, Coach Knight should have let it go. I mean, what good could have come from getting into it with a drunken fan from the opposite team? When the fan said good game, Coach Knight should have simply said thank you and found his seat. But again, this is the kind of guy that Coach Knight was. He always had to be in the dominant position in every encounter he ever had. He has to be in control of the situation and in control of every relationship. It is like a complex with him. And that's really where a lot of this comes from. He believes that he is always right and he has to prove it in every situation. In his entire adult life, the only people that he has consistently acquiesced to are superior officers during his time in the army and his coaching mentors. As far as Coach Knight is concerned, those guys walk on water. He will also behave as an equal peer when interacting with other coaches. But when it comes to everyone else, Coach Knight has to be in charge and always needs to exert that dominance, just like with that LSU fan or that Puerto Rican police officer. Now, incident number three is probably the most famous. That was a time when he threw a chair across the court while playing against Purdue University. He was angry at the referees yet again, and it was hard to tell from the video exactly what he said, but the referee gave him a technical foul. At that point, Coach Knight lost it. He picked up his chair and threw it across the court as Purdue was getting ready to shoot the technical free throws. Now, according to Coach Knight and his defenders, Coach Knight did it as a calculated move to fire up his own team. But it does not seem that that was the case. He had just received a technical foul and that is often motivation enough for his team to pick up the energy. If it was truly about motivating a team, he did not need to throw a chair. Further, Coach Knight's defenders say that Coach Knight purposely aimed the chair in a way that it would not hit anybody. And they claim that the chair never actually touched anyone. But that is simply not true. I have watched the video of the incident over and over, and that chair clearly hit some photographers sitting along the baseline. Now, it did not hit them very hard. No one claimed an injury but the chair definitely made contact with a few photographers. And the really funny thing about that video is that one of the arena ushers calmly picked up the chair and walked it back around the court and placed it back where it belonged. 
Of course, the referee immediately hit Coach Knight with a second technical foul, giving Purdue four technical free throws. Now, while the referee was sorting everything out at the scorer's table, Coach Knight continued screaming at the referees like they were the ones at fault. And somewhere along the line, he was issued a third technical, which gave Purdue six free throws before the game could resume. Indiana Athletic Director Ralph Floyd was on the court immediately to try to sort things out. In Coach Knight's own version of the story, he regretted throwing the chair immediately. He still maintains that there was no excuse for throwing the chair, and it was a mistake, and he should have never done it. A couple of years later, Coach Knight was on the Dave Letterman Show and explained the reason behind the chair throw. He said that there was this little old lady across the court who needed a place to sit, and Coach Knight, being very gentlemanly, said, here, you can have my chair. Of course, he was joking, and it all made for a very funny story on the show. However it went down, the incident cemented a reputation that Coach Knight had been developing for years. Now, incident number four. It was a time when Coach Knight pulled his Indiana team off the floor before the game was over. On the surface, he looked like a petulant child taking his ball and going home. It was an exhibition game against the Soviet national team. As usual, Coach Knight felt that the game was being officiated unfairly. The referees kept giving the Russian team warnings where the same infractions from Indiana resulted in foul calls. Coach Knight was furious because the Soviet teams had been coming to the United States every single year. So the Soviet coach and the team were completely familiar with both university and NBA rules. After some screaming, Coach Knight was given two technical fouls and was ejected from the game. He refused to leave the court because he felt that he was in the right and he needed to show up the referees by not leaving the court. At that point, the referee had no choice but to tell the scorer's table that Indiana was officially forfeiting the game because Coach Knight would not leave the court. At that point, Coach Knight did lead his team to the locker room with time still on the clock. The subtle difference here is that Coach Knight claims that he did not pull his team off the court until the game had been officially declared a forfeit. So at that point, there is no harm in taking his team off the court because after all, the game was officially over at that point. However, the reason that the forfeit happened in the first place is because Coach Knight was acting like a child. Also, since no announcement had been made to the crowd, to them, it looked like Coach Knight was leaving the game early and taking his team with him. That was not a good look. Again, he always needed to be in that dominant position. He felt that he was right and that the referees were wrong and he was always going to teach them a lesson. In some weird way, Coach Knight must have viewed himself as the sheriff of the universe, righting all wrongs and teaching everyone a lesson about everything. With all of these incidents, Coach Knight was either completely wrong or he contributed greatly to the escalation of the incident. In other words, none of these situations had to happen. He could have prevented all of them. Now, let me balance that out with something really good. In the early 1980s, Indiana had a player by the name of Landon Turner. He was an incredible player who was part of the 1981 championship team, and he was destined for a great career in the NBA. However, he was in a car accident that paralyzed him from the chest down. Now, Coach Knight relentlessly raised money through charity events for the Landon Turner Medical Fund. His medical bills ran into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, and this was 40 years ago. Coach Knight made it his mission to make sure that the Turner family had all of their medical bills taken care of and that Landon lacked for nothing. 
Now, this is where the mystery of Coach Knight exists. He has been known to shove players in practice for not doing a drill the right way. But at the same time, Coach Knight would work himself to the bone on behalf of that same player if a tragedy were to strike. He could be venomous or incredibly generous. He also raised millions of dollars to benefit the Indiana University Library, and that is something that benefited the entire student body, not just the basketball players. He believed in education and that he should give something back to the school. Well, this is a good place to take a break, and we will be right back to cover how Coach Knight was eventually fired from Indiana University. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Welcome back to the show and let us conclude our three-part profile on Bob Knight. In his 29 years at Indiana University, the leadership of the university and the athletic department in particular had completely changed. He said several times in his own autobiography that he should have resigned years before he was fired from Indiana. He knew things were different when the new leadership started hounding him for every perceived infraction. The atmosphere was changing and he was getting left behind. If we were being honest about it, at most universities, as long as the coach is winning national championships, the university leadership will ignore certain infractions. But once that coach stops winning, at least winning consistently, the atmosphere changes and the universities tighten up their accountability. And I've been watching basketball for nearly 40 years and this is a very common pattern. Now let's get back to Coach Knight in particular. At one point he was told that he was on his last strike. One more incident and he would be relieved of his duties. And he probably should have resigned right there but he wanted to stick around for his players. He felt that he was in the middle of putting something together that was really special. He felt that with the current group of players that he might be able to win his fourth national championship. But again, he got in his own way. While walking across campus, a student called out to him by saying, hey Knight. Well, before the student could even finish his sentence, Coach Knight put his hands on the student's chest and said, I am Coach Knight or Mr. Knight to you. You should remember that the next time you are talking to an older person. Again, Coach Knight felt that the kid was in the wrong and he needed to be taught a lesson about respecting one's elders. Unfortunately for Coach Knight, the kid's dad was an attorney and the kid's dad had a local radio show where he criticized Coach Knight constantly. That was the final straw for Coach Knight at Indiana University. He was quickly fired 
for his disturbing pattern of behavior involving all sorts of incidents over the past 29 years. If it were not for the talented group of players that he had, he probably would have resigned sooner. In fact, the year after he was fired, the team went to the national championship game where Indiana lost to Maryland. The new coach was Mike Davis, who was Coach Knight's top assistant. He nearly won the national championship with players that Coach Knight had recruited. After a year off, he was hired by Texas Tech University, and he coached there for eight relatively uneventful seasons. He had the full support of the university, and they knew who they were hiring. Also, Coach Knight seemed to mellow out a bit as he got older. Now, I could not find any serious incidents that took place while he was at Texas Tech. He eventually retired from coaching completely in 2008, and then worked for ESPN for a few years analyzing college basketball. In early 2020, under even newer leadership at Indiana University, he was invited back to be honored nearly 20 years after having been fired. And it was a huge event. A bunch of his former players were there to celebrate him like Quinn Buckner, Isaiah Thomas, and a whole bunch of others. Sage Steele from ESPN was there on her own as a fan and an alumnus of Indiana University. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, was also there because he too is a graduate of Indiana University. Dick Vitale, a good friend of Coach Knight, was the broadcaster for ESPN on that event. Even Gene Cady, the old coach from Purdue University was there as he and Coach Knight battled each other for decades as members of the Big Ten Conference. It was a wonderful night to honor the man who brought them three national championships. However, his health was already starting to fail him. He was mixing up stories. He had one story where he had Calvert Cheney defending Michael Jordan, which never happened. Those two guys were eight years apart in school. They were never even in college at the same time. And he also introduced his wife twice during his speech. But none of that diminished the splendor of seeing Coach Knight once again wearing a sweater bearing the logo of Indiana University. It was a huge moment of healing for Coach Knight, and he was emotional the whole time. Now, this last story I shared back in episode 151, so I will not go into detail here. Coach Knight led the United States men's national team to a gold medal in the 1984 Olympics. That team featured Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, and Chris Mullen. He still says that the Olympics was one of the best experiences as a coach, but he was not just representing Indiana University, rather, he was representing the entire United States, and that meant a great deal to him. In keeping with the theme, of this three-part episode, Coach Knight is a mystery. He can be equally spiteful and loyal. He always did what he felt was right, even if that offended everybody. He definitely made mistakes and he crossed many lines. And he said things and he did things that he should have never done. At the same time, he was intensely loyal to his players and former assistant coaches. He was extremely generous with those that he cared about. And when I think about him, it is natural for me to try to put him in a category as either a good guy or a bad guy. And I do not think he falls very easily into either category. He is somewhere in the middle, and that is probably the hardest part about trying to do a story on Bob Knight. I think this is true for many people, that we tend to try to put others in the category of either good or bad because it's just easier to do it that way. It does not require any thinking or evaluation. But it's not the way life really is. Most of us live in the middle. We do good things and we also sometimes do bad things. That is part of life. But I will finish with this. 
Coach Knight always ran one of the cleanest programs in all of college basketball, meaning he never had to deal with recruiting violations, paying players, or any other academic scandals. The closest he got was back in the 1970s when he found out that three of his players had taken illegal drugs. The news was not even public, but Coach Knight went ahead and kicked all three players off the team permanently. When the public did find out about it, they went bananas, but Coach Knight stuck to his position. His players were, generally speaking, of very high character. Coach Knight had one of the highest graduation rates of any coach in college basketball. Now that was something that he was always very proud of, and it is something that I admire as I am very academically minded myself. But now let me bring this back to the beginning. In the first of our three episodes on Coach Knight, I mentioned that as a kid, he loved seeing Ted Williams play baseball. He would always try to catch a game when the Red Sox were in Cleveland. Ted Williams was one of Coach Knight's heroes. Once Coach Knight became famous, he was able to meet and become friends with Ted Williams. Both men are avid fishermen. Ted Williams even wrote a book on fishing. By any reasonable standard, he was one of the greatest fishermen around, in addition to being one of the greatest hitters in Major League Baseball history. While a trip was arranged for Coach Knight and Ted Williams to spend a week in Russia fly fishing, it was probably one of the greatest weeks of his life. He got to do one of his favorite things in the world, which is fly fishing, and he got to do it with his boyhood hero, Ted Williams. It would be like me getting to spend a week with Magic Johnson, traveling the country and attending NBA games together. That would be an amazing week. So that wraps up our three-part episode on Coach Bob Knight, probably the most enigmatic character in all of basketball. He truly was one of the greatest coaches of all time, but also a deeply troubled man who needed to fix everything, and he didn't care who he bulldozed to do it. So join us next week when we share the story of the drafting of Dirk Nowitzki back in 1998. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports History Year. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. <laughs>